It's go time for the Athlete Fix Podcast, helping you help others win at life. Introducing your friendly neighborhood host, JG. Okay, so welcome yeah, back, everyone. Uh, this is part two of part one's podcast episode we did with Mr. Craig Lear, where we looked into shoulder instability and more specifically um, the kind of, I guess, niche subject of being sort of labral tears, labral pathology. Uh, in part one, we talked mostly through the history, the subjective um, and objective examination, but I wanted to kind of do it justice um i felt like we were probably a little bit kind of uh, pressed for time i didn't want to just shoehorn in treatment on the last episode so this time we're going to dedicate 100 percent to treatment so first of all craig thanks for coming back mate appreciate it thanks for having me it's yeah okay. no worries and um i guess we'll just pick up sort of where we left off eh? so we we just started on treatment i remember one thing i wanted to i mean obviously just from personal experience when i came to see you um not too long ago um with uh um with this is injury myself um you went through some really kind of interesting sort of techniques so I, w- I wonder if you wouldn't mind talking us through sort of you know things like the isometrics the style of isometrics you use you know things like that kind of wall press where i was internally rotated I know you're finding like some of the kind of closed chain, um, sort of four point kneeling, bear crawl type position. So, yeah, just just talk us through, yeah. if you wouldn't mind, just sort of what what your kind of general treatment approach is these days when it comes to treating sort of label pathology instability. Yeah. So I think in terms of instability, um, because there's always usually a lot of range or excessive range uh, around the joint, um, what we're trying to do really is is sort of get some muscular activation um, through the whole kinetic chain. Um, so the sort of theory behind using some isometrics and sort of wall pushes or four-point kneeling drills is that we can try to get that activation through the sort of forearm um, and the wrist flexors um, coming up into the tricep, into the posterior shoulder, um, uh, as well as obviously that, that cuff and scapular stability uh, muscle group uh, around the area. So what, what we're trying to do is get, I suppose, a full kinetic chain activation um, through the, the whole of the upper limb. Um, and a really good way of doing that in sort of instability patients is to do that in weight bearing. Uh, I think I mentioned uh, in the sort of original episode that um, I think we often really sort of don't look at the shoulder as a weight-bearing joint at times. And um, when we start to, to sort of think about that functionally, um, there'll be lots of times in our day-to-day life, but particularly in, in gym um, or in sports and activity. And obviously my background is professional rugby. Um, so there'll be sort of certain circumstances where players will be in a ruck and they'll be weight-bearing through the, the upper limb and, and sort of, you know, really asking the, the whole of that upper limb to to provide um, sort of functional stability through the, the sort of shoulder girdle. Mm. So we can re-educate that really well through sort of really targeted specific exercises. Uh, again, it depends on where the instability is, I guess, mm. in terms of where you would want to target. Um, you know, for me, posterior instability. So we sort of worked, I worked a lot sort of more posteriorly around um, sort of back of the shoulder, the tricep. Uh, becomes a bit of a problem area for me mm. uh, along other triceps. Um, so, you know, that's that's what I sort of incorporate a lot into my sort of rehab for, for these patients. And a lot of people sort of feel really 
Um, you know, they actually use words like I feel more stable this week after mm. doing sort of a lot of these drills. So then we can progress that on. Um, I think I mentioned last time a little bit about overhead pressing. So, you know, we sort of think about going back to overhead pressing, especially in the sort of Olympic lifting athletes, mm. uh, CrossFit athletes, things like that. Um, and, you know, before we sort of maybe comfortably bring someone um, into a more open chain overhead press, um, we, we can do that in a, in a weight-bearing position. So, you know, using a, a step to take yourself into a downward dog with, with a press. Um, so we're getting some, some nice feedback from the floor. Uh, we're getting that co-contraction of muscle groups through the whole of the upper limb into the shoulder girdle. Um, and then it just gives you a little bit more confidence that when you start to go into these more open chain positions that you, you sort of feel like you have uh, a bit of control um, around that weight yeah. uh, that you're throwing overhead. Yeah, yeah, that that's awesome. That, that, yeah, that's really that's really insightful. And one thing, just sort of thinking out loud here, um, in terms of sort of uh, the prag- pragmatically being able to manage maybe the sin factors and the irritability of these people. So, so I suppose I personally wasn't maybe the best example because when I came to you, I was symptomatically, I suppose, relatively. Um, non-irritable um, but uh, I mean even just from personal experience when I've seen these sort of this sort of patient demographic more kind of acutely um, they can really easily get stirred up so I'm just sort of putting myself in the shoes of of you know somebody a clinician so they've got somebody like this in clinic say it's maybe perhaps more acute they can get stirred up really easily um, so even though perhaps maybe they've got sort of, oh yeah, I'd like to do this exercise, that exercise. Um, have you got any advice for somebody on how would, how would you sort of personally approach it, you know, with your toolkit, but bearing in mind, um, what's your starting point sort of exercise wise with somebody who's generally kind of more acute and more irritable? Yeah. I mean, obviously pain becomes a bit of a limiting factor, doesn't it? In that acute mm-hmm. phase. Um, and the, there's likely going to be some, some sort of muscular spasm around that uh, shoulder girdle and mm. some of the pain may be coming from from that. Um, I guess what, what I would do is start with the basics. I mean, the, the benefit of an isometric exercise is we can be guided by pain in terms of how hard we push. So you can get somebody to, to try something, you know, in non-weight bearing against the wall, against the door, um, and the, the sort of real approach that I take is testing and retesting. So, you know, if, um, if we sort of going through range and we've got painful arc and, and the sort of limitation in the sort of function, then you could try one of your um, isometric exercises. So we can try them in different ways. We might go into more extension. We might go into more abduction with internal rotation um, and we just get them to do sort of, you know, a few reps, five second holds, um, and then we retest our range of motion and Mm. has there been any improvement. And that will give us some guidance in terms of like exercise selection, um, in terms of how much they can push. um, And also when they're ready to progress on to sort of more challenging exercises as, as we go. Um, so yeah, I tend to, you know, if they were sore, I probably wouldn't put them in weight straight away. Um, we can do it against the wall. We can do it non weight and then we can start to progress that. Um, and, and that's really important, I think, to, to remember that we, we do want to be progressing. You know, we don't, don't want to be doing the sort of basic stuff. 
week in, week out, you know, if they can do those things more easily, uh, yeah. then we go into weight bearing. Then, then we can go into more of a burke hall position. So we're taking more weight through the upper limb. Um, we can then add dynamic to that. So we can get them to move. We can add, um, you know, loops, resistance bands. I use a lot of sliding discs as well. Um, yeah. Those positions. Um, so those can be really effective in like a weight bearing four point kneel in our burke roll position. Um, and then we start to, we go laterally, we can go forwards, backwards. We, you know, we can move around a little bit in those positions um, yeah. once, once they're ready for it. Mm. Yeah, 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 very cool. Um, and I was going to, uh, I was going to say, just in terms of thinking of what questions might be on, uh, well, in both patient minds, uh, patients' minds, and um, and and therapists, probably I think helps to build confidence if they can have a good idea of and anticipate what those likely questions they're going to be pitched um, are, are going to be, uh, so you can sort of. Um, help to um, alleviate um, the stress of the situation and also I guess just calm the patient down so I suppose um, in this case because we talked last time about sort of the decision making process and and what would kind of constitute criteria wise maybe uh, an earlier onwards referral or, or maybe the people you kind of keep hold you can keep hold with confidently for longer before considering anything like that so i guess just i guess both sort of like anecdotally because you've seen a lot of these guys before you yourself uh, have been a patient like this um from the point you start your rehab with them have you got a like prognosis wise have you got a general time frame idea of like say for example like I'm going to try a program with these guys for say six to eight weeks. If it's not looking like we're making any kind of progress, this is the point at which I would start to look elsewhere at maybe referring onwards. What what sort of t- what sort of general time frame would you say is kind of is, is sort of reasonable to see improvements with them? Obviously, everyone's different. I know. Um, yeah, of, of course. And that's what I was just going about to start with um, <laughs> because it depends on on the, the goals and you know yeah. what they're. If, if they're acting as boy and they need to get back to work, it's affecting their work life. Um, if I'm confident with my clinical testing and my subjective and, you know, all signs are pointing towards some sort of pathology, there are times where if it was an NHS referral and we knew the time scale was going to be a bit longer um, because GPs can't refer for shoulder scans. They have to go through MCATs or sort of triage services. So what I would tend to do if if I was you know confident in the history, confident in my, my clinical testing, I probably would refer and start rehab at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, great be, point. Because I I would know that the the process you know could be anywhere between eight to twelve weeks for that person to be sort of seen through triage, scanned you know, reassess that sort of thing. So um, I, yeah, I would sometimes get that process started. And if they're improving as you start that process, then um, obviously great. Um, if they have improved and um, the scanner has sort of come back with some sort of pathology, then that helps you make that decision, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of let's continue with this non-surgical approach um, for now. If they have improved a bit, but they're still having problems, um, and you, you can confidently say that they've followed the protocol well, then again, it helps you make those decisions down the line. 
I guess if you put yourself into a patient's shoes, it could be like, well, let's leave you for six to eight weeks doing this rehab. Um, okay, it's not progressed how we wanted to. Now let's refer you on. That's another eight to 12 weeks. Mm. You know, it's a long time um, yeah. for them yeah, to sort absolutely. of go through that process. So I think it has to be at the back of our minds that we we know that that, that referral process can be timely. Um, and, you know, it's having that conversation with your patient in terms of, you know, what, what's expected of you is this an important thing for us to be getting sort of resolved relatively quickly if it's affecting you with your job and you can't sort of earn a living because of it um mm. or if it's recreational sport but it's really important to you because um you know you use your sport as an outlet from a mental health perspective whatever it may be um so i think it's really important to, to sort of have that clarity in terms of what that patient expects and you know, obviously, we don't know exactly how long it's going to take to to refer, but um, the reality is, you should be seeing progress if if you're going through this protocol um, with somebody. Um, and I think what I'm looking for is if they've been doing it well, I should be seeing changes within two to three weeks of, of each set of exercise progressions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, if you know, I'd be starting to see some. Um, you know, they can do things a bit easier. They can hold for longer. Um, I want to see progression through that that rehab protocol. You know, it's not a matter of them doing the same stuff every single mm. um, every single week so that we can then build on that and progress them back. And sometimes the first few weeks, they're doing really well. And then they start to progress on to something a bit more challenging, a bit more open chain. Um, and you may see some reactions. Now, it's not sort of, jumping in and fearing that uh, there's been a reaction at that point. You know, it's probably expected. You know, we're talking, we're going from more closed chain exercise to more open chain exercise. There's probably going to be a bit of a reaction to that. Um, So it's how do we manage that reaction? Do we reduce the intensity, the load? Um, You know, what's happening in terms of repetitions? You know, you can give a patient a protocol, they might follow it rigidly. They might do, do a bit more, they might do a bit less. So it's it's sort of helping you make that decision, but you should be seeing progress. You know, the whole point of what we do is to see improvements and progress with with our intervention. Yeah, you know, if we're not seeing a change, Mm. then the reality is we have to to delve into that a little bit further. Why are we not seeing a change? Is it the wrong uh, approach? Is it that the pathology is too severe and it's not reacting as quickly as we'd like? Is it that the patient's not been following the plan? Um, is it that they've been overzealous and doing too much in terms of repetitions mm. or load because they want to get better more quickly? Um, they carry on doing activities that are, uh, that are maybe irritating them. So there's so many of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Runners are a classic example. You get some hobbling in through the door. Um, and oh, you I get only did them, 10K. Uh, Oh, you've you're back. <laughs> I oh, think I froze then. <laughs> yeah, the internet's not the best over here. I think you, your your audio is coming through fine, but you're just like a, a JPEG now. You're like an NFT. <laughs> you're just uh, you're, you're, oh no. There we go. There we I'll go. Restart there we go. Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know it's really important to. To understand because you might you might be on the right track you know you might nailed in terms of the right exercises 
but is the adherence correct is you know are they sort of following that plan are they really you know mm. trusting the process and are they on board with what uh, what the approach is so that comes down to your yeah. uh, education and mm. you know your your sort of objective markers your subjective markers and and i suppose the patient trusting you you know with it as yeah. well to be to be honest in terms of what they've been doing um, because if you're both not on the same page then you're going to have some problems yeah that's a really important point i wanted to pick up on actually because i think that is like you said there's a lot of there's a lot of variables going on there's a lot of um you know potential variables that uh you know that you may well have like you said that that be on you know be on it in terms of having selected the correct exercise program or whatever and diagnosis etc um so i think i wondered it might be actually really helpful for you to share um what your kind of systematic thought process might be let's say that's like a hypothetically um or maybe you could just draw you know draw on an, an actual experience you've had um where you know there's been a situation where somebody isn't going along the following the, the progress path that you would have expected um and so they come in like oh yeah my shoulder's really flared up and whatever and I'm also conscious that if it's a follow-up session, you know, generally it's going to be between 20 minutes, half an hour, depending on who you work for. Um, so there's the pressure of time. So in your head, you go, okay, so they're, they're not progressing as I would have expected. And now I've got to kind of go through that, that kind of reasoning process, that thought process of determining what variable or variables are causing this this lack of progress so and you mentioned you know a bunch of them so is there is there any particular like what's your thought process mate like what do you tend to kind of sieve through is there a particular kind of like where you'd approach the questioning um in that kind of situation yeah i mean you obviously adapt to that person don't you but um i think we'll always get those patients coming in saying oh it's no better it's 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 uh it's this it's that but i think sometimes when you delve into that a little bit more um, what I tend to do is I'll go back to that original um, assessment. Mm. So I'll pull up the assessment and I'll do a really thorough history with my patients. I think the history is so key in terms of yeah. you know, mechanism and obviously those agonies and the sort of irritators, sort of subjective markers that we're getting from that IA. Um, and then when you start sort of talking about, say, okay, when you came in, you you were sort of having this level of pain, your sim factor was this in terms of, irritability, severity, pain, um, and you were telling me that you couldn't lie on that side or you couldn't do this activity. Is that still happening? Oh, well, actually, no, I can still sleep. I'm sleeping loads better. <laughs> yeah. um, and, yeah. okay, well, when you first came in, you couldn't do anything in the gym. You know, you were really struggling with any pressing exercises, any pushing movements, you know, really sort of set things off. Um, and you were saying you couldn't do things for two or three days after that. Um, you know, where are we up to at the moment with that? Oh, well, I'm probably benching about 78% of what I normally could do. Um, are you sore the next day? Well, actually, no, it's not as bad as it was. So these are things that you can see. So sometimes it's just the patients living with it because you're progressing them on through um, the pain mm. level or you know the irritation that they might have might maybe feel the similar thing for them. Mm. Um, but if you can show them that functionally they've improved, so they're doing more um, and often you know, when you're sort of setting goals, if if you get someone coming in with, with a lot of pain, um, a lot of the time they, they just talk about pain. Pain is the thing that they want to get rid of. 
Mm. And if you start to put pain to one side and sort of say, well, if the gym's really important to you and you can you can do the gym and you're not doing that at the minute, but you can do that with, you know, a level of pain that's, that's manageable, mm. is that an acceptable thing for us to sort of aim towards? Um, rather than you being thinking pain-free, pain-free all the time. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. actually, you know, function is, is really important to these people people as well like to a lot of people so um you know i try to sort of show somebody that they have improved if they genuinely haven't and nothing's changed from that subjective then obviously yes you know you need to be looking at your approach but you should be on that a little bit more sort of frequently you know in terms of like looking at your previous subjective you know when you came in last week you said this is that still happening no actually that's a little bit better this week um so i think those sort of markers are really good to guide you yeah um and i think sometimes it's just a matter of you know showing somebody that that they have progressed um and you know they just need to stick at it and things continue to improve if they if they work at it um obviously it's difficult conversation i think with adherence because you know people can tell you what you want to hear um, and <laughs> some people might be might yeah. be honest with you and i try to sort of have a relationship with with a patient um and you know say look your goal is is my goal if, if you if you've got a comp coming up in 12 weeks um i'm with you you know i want you to get mm. to that yeah, bump or yeah, that yeah. run or whatever it is um or get back to work or whatever you've got coming up so you know if you're slipping off um track i want you to, to sort of tell me about that so we can make adjustments because mm. i'm making decisions based on what you're sort of telling me and yeah. if if you're not sort of accurate in terms of what you're saying, um, then I may think that a treatment's failed or an approach is failing when actually that's been the right approach. Mm. It's just that unfortunately we're not, um, you know, we're not getting the progress that we want. Yeah. So these are quite important things that I think we need to to touch on with them. Um, yeah. Hopefully that answered the. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Hundred um, percent. And uh, I mean, we talked a bit about exercise. I know you mentioned the Derby uh, shoulder protocol uh, last time as well. I think I'll definitely put a link yeah. to that in the um, show notes. So that's something I've, I've done myself um, and found really useful um, you know, as a, as a, as a patient. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, sort of just to sort of steer away from exercise for a second. And I know <laughs> any kind of, uh, well, generally by and large sort of adjunct, treatment is uh, becoming uh in certain circles less and less uh popular or getting a bit of a taking a bit of a bashing um but yes. i just wondered if you found any like sort of particular adjunct treatments i mean things like potentially like kinesio taping or taping in general um and uh any anything in that sort of realm that you that you like to incorporate or you find useful clinically um, I mean, personally, I probably am using kinesiotaping less and less mm. than, than I used to. Um, I think, obviously, yes, there's lots of debate about its use um, in yeah. literature and, and in sort of um, in the profession generally. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, if you sort of think about the theory behind it, if your if your patient needs a little bit of feedback in terms of um, that posterior chain control and that sort of uh, co-contraction there's the sort of possibilities and, and maybe uses of it in that 
respect. Um, so you can sort of tape, uh, I think rock tape sort of talk a lot about the power taping techniques in terms mm. of trying to go through some myofascial pathways. Um, but I think other adjuncts to, to this, for me personally, I do a lot of more soft tissue and myotherapy mm -hmm. type uh, drills. Um, and again, it's just sort of figuring out from your uh, objective assessment as to where you think someone might be compensating. So we know that uh, we're going to find some stability from, from elsewhere with these um, sort of in unstable shoulders or shoulders have a bit more movement. So you might start to sort of see patients might complain of pec, tightness in the pec, uh, in the traps, um, rhomboids, posterior cuff, that sort of area. Um, I find a lot of people, me personally, my subscap gets really, really tight and, and restricted uh, and we can sometimes lock down a little bit in our lat. So mm. I would do sort of testing on those areas to see if we've got any um, restricted movement um, and any compensations around there and, and then I'd sort of do some soft tissue work. Um, but it has to be in conjunction with the, the exercise. You know, yeah. we're not replacing it. Um, I've seen, and, you know, historically, before I'd sort of um, had a lot of these patients, I would tend to, you know, do a lot more soft tissue. And I'd, mm. I'd, I'd loosen them up, they'd feel really good. Um, in fact, they actually felt a little bit more unstable at times mm -hmm. afterwards as well. Um, but they feel better in terms of the aches and pains they had. But, you know, a week or two later, they come back and they'd be exactly the same. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're just fighting a fire that's, that's always going to be there unless you, unless you incorporate the, the sort of strengthening and the, the stability exercise. So I, I'm an absolute advocate for exercise with these patients. We have to be doing the rehab, the strength, the control. Um, but if we're trying to change um, sort of function and improve sort of imbalances that have been developed around there, which could well be secondary to that, um, sort of glenohumeral instability, um, then, you know, manual therapy, in my opinion, um, I think gets the patient on board with what we're doing. Um, we can teach them some techniques themselves to sort yeah. of self-manage so they're not becoming dependent on us as therapists. But, you know, patients uh, and myself um, being one of those, you know, I found it much easier to do my sort of rehab um, if I'd had my, my lats worked through all my subscap worked into. Um, yeah. But yeah, I know what you're saying. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, hands-off sort of approach really in the yeah. in the sort of industry at the minute. So I think yeah. there's always going to be a divide. Um, my approach privately and even in the NHS when I've done that is, is to sort of combine the two, um, mm. get better buying your patient. Uh, but what I tend to do now is I try to show my patient that they can improve the range with their exercises before I do any manual therapy. Mm. So I'll sort of test, show them a few drills, retest. If that's improved, then great. But then they're so shocked because it's like, oh, actually you've not done any manual therapy, you've not touched me on my my, um, my pains improved, my range improved, whatever. Yeah. So it's then, it's more powerful because they can see that actually what they've done with the exercise is actually going to help them. Yeah. Rather than if you do your manual therapy, and I used to do this more often, manual therapy first, then go from my exercises. Well, 
as a patient, you're thinking, well, I feel better because somebody's done something physical. Made that and, link between, yeah, the improvement yeah. and the, and the So I try yeah. to show them that, you know, we can do this and you've improved. That's what you need to focus on. To help you do that more quickly, I can do some manual therapy in conjunction with you doing your homework. Yeah. Uh, and that's that tends to be the sort of stuff I, I would use. Um, acupuncture could be used in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I know there's sorts of lots of debate about that, but I'm a oh, you know, yeah, big well. advocate for, for using needling. Uh, I think it can work uh, really well. Um, and, and another area that sometimes we get quite stiff uh, in an unrestricted range at the top end is that sort of first and second rib. Um, so maybe sometimes I'll, I'll have a I'll look into that and see what's going on in terms of, you know, have we got some, um, you know, overactive scalenes? Are we, are we getting quite tight, stiff in that area and it's not restricting our top end range? Um, so again, anecdotally, done this with some patients, they can get much better top end range, especially those overhead lifters. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they're getting, then with their exercises, getting better scapular control and stability. Um, and they can usually get back to, to sort of doing what they want to do without that restriction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, in my in my mind, I'll just get rid of the Zoom pop-up. <laughs> yeah, in my mind, the way, the way I've always, um, the way I've always sort of seen well, I was gonna, I was gonna say soft tissue, but I, I guess you could just sort of, you know, insert whatever sort of more passive modality, um, just as a bit of a means to an end to open the door up to be able to do, you know, in this context, some more of your actual kind of like stability work, maybe some more of your more active interventions, because, like you said, at kind of the very um, top of the the podcast there that. They're often coming in, these guys, with a lot, they're very guarded, uh, you know, a lot of, I was about to swear then, but I don't know, can I swear? Yeah, it's my podcast, I'll do what I want. But a shit ton of spasming. Um, and often it, it can, you know, uh, it can make it a bit of an easier buy-in um, and just practically easier to get their stability work done you know, that local stability work and proprioceptive work, if you've just kind of calmed down a lot of that sort of global spasm. And I remember, I mean, I can think, well, don't have to think that long back to when you saw me. And if I remember rightly, I think you um, had found that my lats were really locked down and you did, I think, I think maybe the pec as well. But anyway, the point being is that um, we, you know, we did a little bit of that, that release work through, um, some of those, some of those muscles. And then following that, I certainly remember, you know, a distinct difference in, um, just my freedom of motion and not necessarily just the range, although that did improve, but I would, I would class it as, I guess, the quality of motion as well. Um, and, and as a result of that, me doing any of those, um, exercises, including the ones within the, the Derby protocol felt that much better. I felt like I got that much more out of them, um, as a result of having that little bit of, you know, release work, um, beforehand. And I think the divide, and I think the bad rep, um, that manual therapy is getting isn't, um, is, is, 
is perhaps um, being kind of misinterpreted because I don't think the I don't think we should blame that tool in itself. I think it's only an issue, like you said, if the narrative you're creating is that the patient thinks is making a link that oh, all I need that or what's going to make me better is just somebody doing hands-on stuff um, and hands-on work, whatever shape or form it takes, or passive modality in the absence of having any kind of active intervention. That's what I have an issue with, but I have no issue whatsoever with, um, you know, people exploring a range of um, other techniques, whether that be dry needling or taping or, or, or hands-on stuff. Um, and the other thing, I think I just, you know, we always have that question, I suppose, of what the patient wants slash needs. And um, I think it's probably, although it's a generalisation, that a lot of people just want to feel like they've had some kind of hands-on intervention um, and, and walk away, I think, feeling a lot happier having received that. Um, so, yeah, I just think keep, you know, keep your, may as well keep your toolkit um, keep all the tools in your toolkit accessible and don't write them off just because they're getting some bad press, you know, recently. That's just yeah. my opinion anyway, but, uh, you know, you, you, everyone listening, you're free to think uh, what you think. But I also think we've got an, um, an opportunity to educate. I mean, if we sort of move away from the shoulder, we see a lot of runners coming in for sports massage, um, for calves and things like that. And, you know, I'd, I'd be open and honest with them you know you've come in for a sports massage so that's what i'll provide for to mm. you with today you know you've you've sort of seen it on the website you've booked it you that's what you want um but sometimes it's just a lack of knowledge and understanding in terms of why your car skin so tight all the time so is it just yeah. sheer mileage or actually have we got some biomechanical uh, reason that's sort of causing you to to load through your calves more than you know are we utilizing the hamstring are we using the glutes are we using um the quads what's going on with your running gait you know have you changed any of your footwear and when we can delve into those things a little bit more um i will be very honest and say look it, you know we're a private business at the end of the day um uh, we we have to, to to sort of make turnover in order to survive but um, I don't want to be massaging your calves every two weeks when I know that <laughs> yeah. there's other things yeah. that you can do that will absolutely help um, yeah. you to sort of take some ownership and, and empower you to um, make some changes. And with that, your injury um, risk is, is going to reduce and you'll find that you'll be able to perform better. Um, and we're always chasing those things, aren't we? Whether it's a PB in the gym or a PB on the road. Um, so, you know, if we can move more efficiently and we can make some changes and combine that manual therapy with, with exercise, then, you know, we're on to a bit of a winner. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's a great example, you know, even though, um, obviously this episode is about shoulder, but in terms of like the larger point being just education. And I think a sports master's is actually a really good, um, uh, opportunity like you said like educational opportunity because you know it's just you know relaxed environment um you know they're they they, they they come in obviously for the sports massage so um as much as as much as i guess you know you could go mm, yeah well this person doesn't really need it's technically that's not their primary need they really need to be doing uh, you know a loading program or, or or whatever it may be 
But if you say, I'm not doing, I'm not going to give you the sports massage you pay for. I'm going to give you um, an Alfredson program or, or, or whatever. Um, I guess that, I think it's, it tends to be a lot of the Scandinavians seem to come out with, on top with the tendinopathy programs. But, you know, they're probably not going to be happy if you, if you do that. But like you said, you can yeah. almost start to kind of just drip feed to sort of build a bit of rapport start to explain a little bit about the etiology like mm, well it seems like you've been having this this is a bit of a recurrent thing you know i've been seeing you for massages for a long time now um uh, but have you ever considered you know maybe why this keeps happening um and maybe we can you know like you said looking into training history um looking into the kind of rest of the kinetic chain that kind of stuff and i think I think it's the perfect pitch because people don't get defensive because you're giving them what they want at the time. And at the same time, rather, you're sort of explaining maybe more about what they need and but getting them on board rather than kind of just force feeding them that kind of information where they're not going to be, you know, as, as receptive uh, to it probably. So yeah, great point. Great point. And probably a good point to finish because um, according to zoom uh, we have, two minutes and 40 seconds and i've got a patient soon as well i'm sure you probably do as well so i'll say yeah. thanks very much again mate and i'm glad that You're um, last time it's a, a slightly less the abrupt finish than last time we literally finished um on the on the dot i didn't have <laughs> i didn't actually have time to uh for craig to just um say by himself so um so yeah uh thanks for everyone for for listening like i said i'll put um links to everything we've discussed in the show notes and i'm sure if you're um if you're open to it mate because you know I've, you know you've you're a you're a you're a wealth of knowledge and experience so be great to have you back on the podcast in future and we can um we can delve into some other some other subject of, of interest so yeah stay in touch and then sounds good yeah have a great day mate thank you you too see you again Take soon easy yeah see you later mate bye mate